Hello, all you hardheads. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, good whatever it is, wherever you are in this wonderful world of ours. Welcome to the Hardheaded Sports Podcast, episode number 27, hosted by me, Nick Ryan. I hope that you guys had a fantastic weekend full of rest and relaxation. Lord knows that I had a long weekend full of rest, and I completely forgot that there was going to be a time change that here in America, we were going to move our clocks ahead an hour. And for those of you who are listening to the show who maybe aren't from the United States, we have this completely irrelevant practice of moving our clocks either ahead an hour or back an hour, depending on the time of year it is. And I'm not exactly sure of the specifics on what exactly it does for the majority of people uh, in the workforce. I believe mostly it's attuned to farming and, and crop growing. It gives farmers an extra hour to do more work. I don't know. Maybe that's just a very rudimentary understanding of it because I completely find it useless. The only thing that it does is it completely messes with my sleep schedule. And that is why there wasn't a show on Monday. I apologize for that, but we are going to make it up today with a show, a good show, uh, full of free agency news in the NFL. That's going to be the majority of what we're going to be talking about today. The New England Patriots are absolutely flying off the handle. They've spent more money in the first day, the first, I guess the last two days of free agency. Bill Belichick has spent more money in the last two days as the general manager of the New England Patriots than he has in the past 10 seasons as the general manager of the New England Patriots. An absolutely crazy stat. We'll get into all of that today. But I wanted to start off the show today with a story. And regardless of whether or not you actually end up finding this interesting, that's obviously that's up to you. But I was retelling this story over the weekend, and I thought, why have I not told the story on the podcast yet of how I almost worked for Sports Illustrated? And I, when, when it comes to, I guess, my story and my progression as a writer, as a reporter, whatever, this is a very key moment for me. It was a very developmental period in my life when it came to trying to figure out exactly how I wanted to work in sports media, how I wanted to write, whether or not I wanted to be on TV or not. It was a moment in time after college when I was really still trying to find what my niche was and what exactly I wanted to do. Because I had been working on the radio for close to four years at that point, and it's like, well, radio is a little bit of a dying medium. Am I going to have to adapt? Am I going to be able to do this? Am I going to be writing for the rest of my life? And I had this tremendous opportunity, or at least it appeared like a tremendous opportunity upfront to be working with Sports Illustrated. Now, if you know pretty much anything about sports, you would have heard of Sports Illustrated. You would know what Sports Illustrated was. And for a brief moment in time, I worked for Sports Illustrated, or essentially I was in the process of becoming an employee of Sports Illustrated. And it was a very interesting experience, and I wanted to share that with you all today. So I was about three months removed from graduating from college. And I had just gotten back to my apartment after a disastrous weekend. Uh, It was October of 2019. I was traveling to cover a Clemson-Florida State game, and I had gotten into a car wreck about halfway through the drive, so I had to basically cover the game remotely, drive back to Tallahassee, and my car was completely wrecked. I needed a new car. I was down in the dumps, and lo and behold, I get a phone call from my friend who was still in school at the time, and he had told me that somebody from Sports Illustrated had gotten in contact with him via a, uh, a different source, 
not necessarily a source, a, a different plug or a different recommendation. He was recommended by one of the anchors in town. I guess that's probably the best way to put it. And Sports Illustrated was interested in hiring not only him, but also myself to run a Florida State driven division for Sports Illustrated. Now, at that time, Sports Illustrated had recently been bought out by this company called Maven. At least I think I remember that's what their name was. It could be a little bit different, but for the purposes of the story, let's just call them Maven. Now, they had recently bought out Sports Illustrated and laid off a bunch of writers. Now, this was something that was pretty talked about in sports media, how the changing of ownership how this company just completely wiped out a lot of the long-tenured and very credible, very reliable, and experienced staff that was with Sports Illustrated, and that was huge news coming out of it. And now, I wasn't exactly going to be going into one of those major writing roles there at Sports Illustrated. It was going to be a little bit something different. What they wanted to do is they wanted to implement news outlets, websites, news sources, at pretty much every single major Division I college university in America. What they wanted to do is they wanted to, the idea that they pitched was they wanted to bring back local sports in terms of what sports you're going to be interested depending on your area, depending on what sports you enjoy, and depending on what kind of collegiate universities are around you in your area. They, they had stuff for pro teams, they had stuff for collegiate teams, and they were going to go into high school teams as well. But mostly... In my particular case, it was going to be about Florida State since I had been on the Florida State beat for multiple years, as had my friend. And essentially, their game plan, as I said, was to implement a new source or a, a, a syndicate of writers, workers, at each major Division I collegiate university. So, University of Oregon would have one, Florida State would have had one, Georgia Tech, UCF, Virginia Tech... Duke, Kentucky, pretty much every single major Division I college university would have had a syndicate. And as I said, the people from Sports Illustrated that were in contact with me and my friend wanted us to run the Florida State Division. So we're like, okay, this is a tremendous opportunity. We cannot pass this up, as anybody would. So <laughs> if you're aspiring to be in the sports media, sports journalism business, if Sports Illustrated comes knocking... You listen, you open the door and you listen. And now looking back on it, we can see how foolish it was at the time. But being in our early 20s, struggling, knowing that we're probably going to struggle to find work. And this was before we had any inklings. This is about two years before the pandemic happened, at the very least. We had no idea what was coming, but we understood that, hey, it's going to be a tough business to get work in anyways. So we said, okay, let's work with them here. This is a, fa a fantastic opportunity. Let's hear them out. Let's see what they have to say. We went into a conference with about 12 other people, 12 to 15 other people. They were all selected as going to be syndicates for specific schools. So somebody from University of South Florida was there. Somebody from Georgia Tech was there. Um, I believe somebody from UCF was there as well. It was basically the southeastern region of, what, of this gigantic network that they were trying to build. And they went us through a gigantic uh, report. The CEO was there. One of the major assistants was there. And I cannot remember their names for the life of me. But they were all there. And they were giving us a slideshow, pre slideshow presentation via Zoom. And they were pitching everything to us. And essentially, this is what they wanted from us. They wanted myself and my friend and anybody else that I wanted to hire 
they wanted us to produce three pieces of content a day. Two of them could have been uh, written pieces of work, but one of them had to be audiovisual. And that was a requirement per day. So three pieces of content per day times seven. That's 21 stories in a given work week. Now, depending on what time of year it is, especially when it comes to collegiate sports, that can be pretty tough sometimes is producing three stories a day and one of them being video or audio. So actually some of the roots of the hard-headed sports podcast were actually rooted in the audio visual side of that job opportunity in terms of saying, well, we can run a podcast pretty much every single day and just nip that audio visual piece of content in the bud. But regardless, they wanted three pieces of content from us a day. They wanted us to openly communicate with, with other syndicates and they were giving us the rundown of what it was and how people would be trafficked, trafficked, how, I don't even know if that's a word, English major over here, by the way, <laughs> if they wanted to show us like how the traffic would go to our website. And I'm sitting there thinking, wow, this really kind of sounds like a pyramid scheme, but surely Sports Illustrated wouldn't be running a pyramid scheme, weren't they? Or And I don't want to label it as Sports Illustrated. I should probably label it more as the people that bought out Sports Illustrated. So it's like, this is kind of sounding like a pyramid scheme. Not only is it sounding a little bit like a pyramid scheme, but it's sounding more like a content mill that they're trying to capitalize off of young college uh, level employees. So we said, okay, but these these guys are big fishes. Maybe they have a bigger game plan than that. And this is where the red flag started coming into play. They openly, they said, and it was a requirement if we were going to work with Sports Illustrated, that if we were going to work with them, we had to register our website, our news medium, our syndicate. We had to register ourselves as an LLC. And what this would have done is if any copyright infringement, any legal trouble that myself and my friend would have gotten into, anything, whether that be copyright infringement, whether that be um, a fair use uh mishap regardless of a bunch of legal issues um if anything happened we would be liable for those occurrences not sports illustrated we so it's like okay that's a little bit of a red flag but i don't maybe maybe we can work around that the other gigantic red flag was the fact that they openly advertised and they openly encouraged us openly maybe that's not the right word they kind of like elbowed us in this general direction that kind of like gave us a nudge nudge. They said, we understand that three pieces of content a day may be a little tough to get. And we also understand that sometimes you're not always going to be the person there to break the news. So it's okay. If you go and basically find somebody else's story, recap the article and then link the original article. So to put that into a, a, a more linear context, they were essentially saying, you don't have to report the news. You can just summarize a paragraph and then link somebody else's work and we can let our SEOs do the work, uh, do the rest. Now, SEO stands for search engine optimization. Whenever you go and type something on Google, say in this instance, um, who are we going to talk about? We're going to talk about the New Orleans Saints later in the show. So let's say, uh, you, you you type in on Google, you say New Orleans sports, New Orleans Saints sports news. Yeah. Your first option that comes up on Google is going to be the site that has the best search engine optimization uh, 
uh, I'm struggling to find the word here, the best search engine optimization program, computer, AI, yada, yada. It depends on how much you pay for it because that, that is something that happens. You pay to be at the top of the Google list. It also goes by relevancy. So depending on how good your search engine optimization is, your story could appear first. Now, the way that the human mind works is whatever we see first is more than likely what we're going to click on first, especially if we're in a hurry. So say that we find out, as we did, that Drew Brees retired. Oh, I got to figure out what happened to Drew Brees. We're, we're going to look it up. We're going to click on the first story that we see. So bringing that back to my situation, let's say that somebody reported a piece of news and I didn't see it first, they were advocating that I could go into my editor and I could type up a paragraph and link the original article and just have the search engine optimization do the rest. So it doesn't matter if I didn't write the story first. It doesn't even matter if I'm reporting on it or not. I could be reporting on somebody else's report. But if my story comes first in the search engine optimization, it doesn't matter. My story is going to get seen first and therefore my story is going to be the more prominent one. And I basically got all the reward for doing none of the work. And that is dangerously linked to copyright infringement, especially if I'm lazy, which I wouldn't be because I'm me. But if I was lazy about the report, we could get into some serious legal trouble for doing that kind of stuff. So it's like, okay, so not only are you kind of nudging us towards doing copyright infringement, but you're also saying that you want us to register ourselves as an LLC, which makes, makes us legally viable for that. You can see how now this is turning into a gigantic red flag. And me and my friend were basically like, uh-uh, no way. There's no way that we're doing that. We're not going to go down for you being paid pennies a day just so you can get your content mill off of a couple of uh, st uh, starving college-level students, even though I had already graduated. And that's the mind-blowing thing, right? It's very scummy when you bring everything into the picture in terms of what they were doing. They were trying to capitalize off of cheap labor under the notion that we're going to see that Sports Illustrated wants to give us a job and we're going to be like, oh boy, this is going to be our big break. And that's exactly how we did perceive it. They were hoping to capitalize on cheap college level labor to create a content mill for them in which they would not be legally responsible or viable for any of our actions because we were going to be registered as our own dependent company or new source or medium or, ho or however you want to say it. And... That's the mind-blowing thing to me is, look, I am very confident in my ability as a writer. I am very confident in my ability to be a journalist, to report news, to be uh, a personality. And if you've been watching this podcast, you've been watching this show for a while, hopefully, hopefully you've seen some of that in me. And although I'll admit I don't have nearly a, a pinch of some of the experience that some of these greater writers and TV personalities have, this is part of your development process. You're not going to be this good right away. And that's everybody. That's something that everybody should understand no matter what you're doing in life. Things that you want to be good at take practice. And it, it, it just strikes me as so funny considering that they hired, or excuse me, they fired 50 plus credible, diligent, experienced writers to go for cheap collegiate labor. And it's like, I, I have not done anything to deserve the title of being one of the best writers in America, best sports writers in America. Not like some of those people that they just fired deserve that title. 
And the, and the really messed up thing is, is they actually addressed that firing in that opening Zoom call as well, saying, we know you, what you've been hearing about how we laid off those writers. None of that is true. It's all a media fabrication. It was just shady beyond belief. And I do want to make the distinction. This is not to slander anybody at Sports Illustrated. This is not to slander anybody at Maven. At least I think that's what they're called. This is my, and I, I, I shouldn't have to really be worried about any of this uh, because I didn't even, I didn't sign an NDA or anything. This was really based on my experiences here. I don't want to blame the, the original idea of what Sports Illustrated is, but the people who bought out Sports Illustrated, they tried to basically capitalize on collegiate labor to create content and have the syndicate of local cheap labor that they were not legally responsible for. So as sad as it was, as down as I was at the time and how I would have loved to work for Sports Illustrated, looking back, it was absolutely the right decision to pass on that. I don't even know. And, and they did go through with those plans, by the way. They do have somebody writing those content pieces, and I don't remember who it is on the beat at the moment, but there is somebody here who is doing all of that. Uh, that's how I almost worked for Sports Illustrated. That was a, probably a very long-winded and poor explanation, but regardless, I hope that you found some interest in that. That's a story that I've told multiple times, and it's something that I, when I was retelling the story again this weekend, I couldn't believe that I hadn't told the story on air yet. Um, yeah, that, that's how I almost worked for Sports Illustrated, if you can even call it that. It was more like the ghost of Sports Illustrated than anything else. And now we can start to get into some of the rest of the show after that story. Um, we, and we, there is a lot to get into. It's an absolute laundry list of NFL news to talk about today. Uh, I have this little little widget that's provided by Spotrack that basically lets me know whenever there's a new signing, a new extension, retiring, fifth-year option. Basically, when any transaction happens in the NFL in this free agency period, they have this 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 widget, this bot that updates it automatically, and I've been glued to my monitor over the past 24 hours just watching all this news come in and some interesting stuff, and we'll get to that. But I think the place that I want to start is talking about uh, the retirement of Drew Brees. And I think for out of respect for Drew, it's it's appropriate that he goes first. And now we can talk about what a fantastic career Drew had, and we can look at him in the scope of an all-time great quarterback. And I think that Drew Brees deserves it. I don't need to sit here and tell you how good of a quarterback Drew Brees was and how not only this past season, even though the numbers weren't there for Brees, even though, yes, it looked like he took a step back, the toughness, the talent, and the strength that Breeze had to be able to play through multiple broken ribs for the remaining part of that season and help lead that team that looked lost at times to the divisional round of the playoffs, it was nothing short of extraordinary. And I'm glad that Drew Brees went out with that that scope in mind, saying, well, okay, he didn't go out with a Super Bowl victory like he would have wanted to, but he was able to fight through a tremendous amount of pain and still perform at an above-average level to lead his team to the playoffs. And I said multiple times on the show when previously talking about Drew Brees that I felt like if he played another year, he would have run the risk of having a Peyton Manning-esque retirement, which... Granted, some people are saying, well, Peyton Manning won the Super Bowl his last season in the NFL, and you know that's definitely the way that you would want to go out. And yes, that's absolutely true, but if you remember watching that season, at least in my memory, I remember, you know, the, the first of all, the Denver Broncos defense absolutely carrying the rest of that team. I mean, that defense was incredible, incredible to watch. The defense was really carrying the Broncos, and 
Peyton Manning was struggling pretty much the entire season. There, it, it was a gigantic headline or gigantic storyline throughout the season that Peyton Manning was struggling. And you're watching there, you're you're watching him on Sundays, and you're saying, yeah, yeah, this this isn't the best football he's played, and it's like it's time to retire. And obviously, if you're weighing your options, I think you would probably want the Super Bowl victory at the end of the day. But the way that we remember Peyton Manning. Uh, apart from his illustrious career, of course you remember all the highlights. Of course you remember uh, the Brady versus Manning games, uh, at least uh, I watched growing up. But when it comes to the way that we remember Peyton Manning retiring, it's always, yeah, he didn't look so good. It's time to. It was his time to go, and that's the la- That was the last impression that we got as Peyton, of Peyton as a player. And I'm happy that for Drew. We were able to say that, yeah, he still he he took a step back, but he still had flashes of being Drew Brees, and you can go into retirement saying that, yeah, he probably could play another season, but for his health sake, for his family's sake, and probably for the team's sake as well, so they can prepare to move on, it's probably better that he did retire, and we can celebrate an illustrious career for Brees, as I said. And it's great for Breeze. I mean, if you remember, he spent three years with the San Diego Chargers, and they thought that he was going to be not a good quarterback in the NFL, and they traded him away, and they drafted Phillip Rivers. And, of course, Phillip Rivers had a fantastic NFL career uh, as well, and he retired this offseason as well. And uh, great for Drew Breeze to then go to the Saints and become the Drew Breeze that we all knew and loved and expected what a phenomenal quarterback, and I think the league is really going to miss him. He's such a he's a he's a caring individual. He really means a lot to the city of New Orleans, especially delivering that Super Bowl to them right after the aftermath of Hurricane Katrina. That was gigantic for that city. There's going to be a lot of love for him there for a long time, and I'm glad that he didn't play another season and potentially got hurt again or just didn't look so good. And um, I, I, I'm, I'm over the moon for Drew Brees. I couldn't be happier for Drew Brees. And now the Saints have moved on into the future and they have secured their quarterback position, sort of. It's not like there's any definitive answer. I think, essentially, if, you, if you're if you looking for a headline as to what the Saints did, they basically ran back their same situation from last season. They gave Taysom Hill a four-year, $140 million contract, but all years are voidable. So you're going to sit there and say four years, $140 million contract, a $140 million contract for that quarterback. You must be insane. Look, it, all of those years are voidable and uh, Taysom Hill is probably not even going to see 5% of that cash. Uh, if you look at the base salary and I'm recalling this off of my memory, off of my memory, it's legitimately maybe uh, 1.5 million a year guaranteed. It, it's not a lot. All of those years are voidable. So it's essentially, yeah, this is saving cap space for the Saints. It's going to be a promising, like, big contract, but Taysom Hill probably is not going to see any of that money. He's going to stay on the team for four years, and uh, or, or he's going to continue to stay on the Saints, and they're going to continue to restructure the, 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 the contract to stay under the salary cap because that's what the Saints have been doing for the past couple of years as they've been playing with that fire. Uh, Taysom Hill, I'm assuming, is going to be the starter at first, and... Of course, you would want to bring Taysom Hill back anyways, whether it's as a quarterback or not, because Taysom Hill is just the Swiss Army knife of the, of the Saints offense at this point. He could he could run it and do the read option. He could play receiver. He can throw the ball, kind of. <laughs> and that's when you bring in the other guy, Jamin Swinston, one-year, $12 million deal, $5 million base salary with an extra $7 million in incentives. 
as I said, the Saints basically are running back their same situation from last year where the, where if Taysom Hill isn't performing in the exact way that Peyton wants, Sean Peyton rather, and whether or not or, or and whether Peyton sees something better in Winston in practice, they can just plug Winston in and have a a more pocket presence quarterback that could run the offense a little bit better. Uh, and that's what Jameis is. He had the opportunity to go elsewhere, and he didn't. Uh, I think he probably was looking to go to New England before Cam Newton re-signed to New England, and he re-upped with the Saints. <clears throat> so, you know, with with Taysom Hill and Jameis Winston there, in my personal opinion, I think Jameis Winston would be the better fit at quarterback for the Saints at this point. You know, a lot of the problems that Jameis had in... Tampa Bay was that he was throwing the ball down the field way too much. Bruce Arians was saying, look, we've got no running game, really. We've got no short passing game, so let's just have Jameis throw the ball down the field. And it worked in terms of passing hurts and touchdowns, but it also worked in terms of turning the ball over. And with the Saints offense, in which a lot of it is mid to short range, it's a lot of slants to Michael Thomas. It's a lot of throws to Alvin Kamara out of the backfield. There are better opportunities for Jameis Winston to be successful in that offense, and I think that he can be successful in that offense, especially after watching Drew Brees for a year, and he actually, uh, Jameis Winston actually had a very touching tribute to Drew Brees on his social media that I found extremely interesting, so there is a connection there between Brees and Winston, and hopefully Winston was able to learn from Brees in his time in New Orleans so far, so Taysom Hill's probably going to be the starter week one, they're going to try and do some things with the offense, I wasn't exactly sold on the Taysom Hill New Orleans Saints offense watching it the past, uh, or, or watching it this past season, I think Jameis is the better quarterback. The Saints are going to have some decisions to make, but essentially they they felt like Breeze was going to retire. Everybody should be happy that he didn't hurt himself again next year and that he didn't diminish his, his lasting memory as a quarterback in the NFL and have a bad out, so to speak. And the Saints are going to continue to try to get under the salary cap with uh, more voidable contracts like the one they gave Taysom Hill. Taysom Hill is a is a absolute team player to take four years and basically have all this money in front of him and knowing that he's not going to be able to see a cent of it because that's just how uh, voidable contracts work. So uh, Saints basically have their quarterback situation in control at this point. We'll see where they go forward. And now we get into that laundry list that I was mentioning there is a ton of stuff that happened, and I don't know whether I'm going to turn this section into a YouTube video or, YouTube video or not. Um, honestly, I feel like it would just be a little bit redundant to make a YouTube video out of this because I'm just going to be sitting here reading a bunch of notes to you. That's basically all I'm going to be doing. So I don't know if this is going to find its way on YouTube or not, but... Regardless, I, I was looking through that list or through that that widget that I was talking about in the last segment, and I wrote down and I typed out some of the key signings and re-signings that I found interesting, and <laughs> it's actually kind of funny because I was I was I didn't realize that the widget was updating automatically as in refreshing the page without my knowledge. I thought that I would just have to manually refresh the page whenever I wanted to look at it. No, it's refreshing on its own. So I'm going through this list and I'm thinking, man, this is getting excessively long. 
<laughs> and it's like, wait, wait a minute. I don't remember seeing that before. So it was updating in real time and just adding more and more signings that I wanted to talk about today. So eventually I just had to cut the leash and cut the cord and, and just say, okay, we're going to make this a segment today. And if we're going to have more news tomorrow, we'll talk about it tomorrow or whenever I make the next show. So regardless of that, I just want to run through the key signings a free agency recap, if you will, from day one. And I want to start in Denver with Von Miller. Man, just the voice is, the voice is cracking a bunch today. I don't know what this is, ladies and gentlemen. Maybe my throat is just giving away on me. Uh, Von Miller returning to Denver as the Broncos are exercising a sixth-year option. He'll be paid $18 million with $7 million of that money guaranteed. Uh, Von Miller at one point was facing some charges, and it was unclear whether or not Von Miller would be on the Broncos by the end of this season, and he was, and now he's re-signed. Those charges were dropped, if I remember correctly, so happy for Von Miller that he gets to stay and receive the last of his contract. He's getting a little bit older, so maybe the Broncos will try and re-sign him at some point within the next year. But as it is right now for Vaughn, really happy that he's back there with the Broncos. That's been his defense for years. It doesn't feel right if Vaughn Miller isn't in a Broncos uniform. Uh, great for him. Sidney Jones is staying in Jacksonville on a league minimum deal. Sidney Jones, the fourth, the cornerback. Great deal for Jacksonville. Uh, they need help at the cornerback position badly. We talked about this recently in the front office frenzy segment. The defensive backcourt for the Jaguars was battered, bruised, and pretty bad last year. And Sidney Joes came in and he played a decent season when he did come in. So great for the Jaguars to kind of lock him up for another year. They're going to get him very cheap. They don't have to spend a lot of that calorie, uh, the calorie space. They don't have to spend a lot of that salary cap space on a cornerback they it would be good if they did but they're going to have at least a decent cheap option at the very least there uh good signing by jacksonville dalvin tomlinson is leaving the new york giants and is signing a two-year 22 million dollar deal with the vikings the vikings desperately needed run defense help tomlinson is a big Big, 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 big defensive tackle with some good penetration ability. He had eight tackles for lost last season. So that is going to be, along with Michael Pierce, he's going to be another big body in the middle of that defensive line. Great signing by the Vikings. Now they're going to have to address the, address the other need on the defensive line, which is finding a good ed edge rusher. They tried Unique Ngakwe in the middle of the season. They decided to trade him away as well. Danielle Hunter is returning from injury. So that defensive line is going to be better, but they could probably stand to get a few more depth pieces and get another edge rusher. So I'm sure that the Vikings aren't done with their defensive line in free agency a uh, Carl Lawson is leaving the Bengals to sign with the Jets on a three-year 45 million dollar contract Carl Lawson is a defensive end from the Cincinnati Bengals the Jets let go of Henry Anderson who was a massive disappointment uh, we talked about that last week or the week before in terms of him being a complete disaster on the football field after you know they gave him a pretty big contract coming off of a good year um, so the Jets have let go of Anderson, who actually signed with New England today as well, and they're bringing in Carl Lawson. I don't necessarily know if Lawson is exactly what the Jets need right now. Uh, they do have some developing defensive ends on the roster already, like Jabari Zaniga from University of Florida. Um, the Jets, if, if you had to 
point and say, okay, what position group on the Jets is probably the strongest? I would say the safety position with Marcus May, who got an extension. And I would probably also say the defensive line. The defensive line was probably the best part of the Jets' defense last season. And uh, they're adding another defensive end, and I think they probably could have spent their money elsewhere. They do have a lot of money to spend, but I think they probably could have spent some money elsewhere and maybe got a mid-level signing on the defensive line. So I don't know necessarily if the money allocation is correct here for the Jets. Carl Lawson is is a fine player. I mean, he did have 32 QB hits last season, so he was getting to the quarterback. Even if his sack total wasn't anything incredibly impressive, he was getting to the quarterback and getting him down. So we'll see whether that signing really benefits the Jets or not. I think they probably could spend some money elsewhere. They do have a lot more money to spend, but I'm sorry. My throat is getting a little scratchy at this point. Uh, we'll, we'll see if this signing is going to pay off for the Jets. Bud Dupree signs a five-year, $82.5 million contract with the Tennessee Titans. Now, I have some feelings about this one. Uh, it's a deal in which Dupree is getting $35 million guaranteed with an average salary of $16.5 million a year. Dupree is coming off an ACL tear from week 12 of last season and is coming from a system in Pittsburgh in which he's lining up opposite of TJ Watts. And it's a system that was incredibly blitz heavy. They blitzed all the time. And even with TJ Watt getting double teamed for a majority of the snaps on the defense, he still just averaged some mediocre numbers. And he was more or less unimpressive. He had two really good seasons after his first two seasons in the NFL. And then he kind of just tapered off a little bit. And with the return to some mediocre numbers and also in tune with the ACL tear that he received this past season, I don't know that this was necessarily a good signing for Tennessee. This is a very risky signing for the Tennessee Titans and Sure, the Titans needed some rushing badly. They needed some pass rushing rather very badly, especially if Jadavian Clowning decides not to stay. But I don't think that this signing was it. I think they probably could have found a better player at a better price who is less risky. Sure, Bud Dupree can absolutely prove everybody wrong and come out with one of the, the seasons that he had a couple of years ago where he was 23rd best rusher or pass rusher in the league or something like that. He could come out and he could have an incredible season, but I just see this as a risky, risky signing by the Titans, and I know that they desperately needed help on the uh, the pass, pass rushing side of things, but I don't think that this was it. Ryan Fitzpatrick leaves the Dolphins to go to Washington on a one-year $10 million contract. As a, as a Dolphins fan, I am sorry to see Fitzpatrick go. I know that, you know... Apart from my biases as a fan, I can't be biased on the show, so I'll have to be cut and dry here. This is great for Washington. Um, You can expect probably a pretty similar season to the one that he had last year in Miami, and that's probably some of the attraction that Ron Rivera and and the Washington football team had to Fitzpatrick. They're very similar football teams in terms of where they are organizationally. Uh, Just like Miami had this past season, Good young defense, or, or Washington has this season. Good young defense, young team, young quarterback is going to need mentoring. And whether that's Taylor Heineke or that's Mac Jones coming in, coming out of the draft, regardless of that, Fitzpatrick, having just went through an almost identical season 
in Miami is going to be perfect in Washington. I think that's a great signing for Washington. And even if Fitzpatrick is the starter in Washington, you are going to be able to get at least eight wins with Fitzpatrick. That's pretty much the benchmark. And with that young defense in Washington, they could probably get more. Obviously, it's not that big of a deal. I've said this ad nauseum on the show over the past couple of weeks. It's the NFC East. Washington is going to be the best team in that division, regardless of what happens. Now they've just really uh, secured their quarterback position a little bit more. Corey Davis leaves the Titans to join the Jets on a three-year $37.5 million deal. $27 million guaranteed in the first two years. A very front-heavy contract, which is weird uh, for this day and age in the NFL. A lot of deals are are very back-heavy, but this one tends to be front-heavy. I think they're banking on... Or I guess maybe they're adjusting for the reality that Sam Darnold might be back this season and then not back the following season, as in they're going to get a quarterback at some point. And it would be really beneficial for the Jets to have a number one type receiver like Corey Davis and then not have to pay for him as harshly in the last two seasons of his contract. Um That's probably the idea that they're moving forward with. They're kind of adjusting and planning just in case that happens, but very front heavy contract for Corey Davis. Uh, It's a good signing. If you're, if you're looking for, you know, weapons to give whatever the quarterback, whoever the quarterback is, uh, it gives Darnell a number two borderline number one wide receiver that he hasn't really had uh, since probably Robbie Anderson left in free agency a couple of uh, or last season. Rob Gronkowski re-signs a one-year deal. The band is continuing to stay together in Tampa. Basically, Tampa went on a re-signing spree, and that's a lot of what Tampa Bay has done so far this offseason. Nobody has really went to Tampa Bay. It's a lot about keeping the team together, which is ideal for them. Uh, this was a newer one, a Chidobi Awuzie, cornerback for the Cowboys, now heading to Cincinnati on a three-year deal. Those details were undisclosed. This was one of the last ones that I put in my notebook before recording the show today. I don't know if any details have come out about that contract since then, but <clears throat> that was the last one that I saw, and I couldn't really write any notes on that. Not sure about what this does for the Bengals. Not sure about what this does for Awuzie. He had an okay season. It was along with a very troubled defensive backcourt for the Cowboys. So we'll see how that develops over time. Leonard Floyd getting paid in Los Angeles. Uh, Excuse me, the Rams re-signing him to a massive $64 million contract. It's expensive, but worth it. Uh, especially to keep that defense together. As long as Aaron Donald is there, Floyd will be able to succeed because Aaron Donald gets double teamed and triple teamed and he still gets to the quarterback. Leonard Floyd is a fast, agile linebacker, great pass rusher. It's a very expensive deal, but it's going to be worth it to keep that defense uh, together for the Rams. Unique Ngakwe signs with the Raiders, two years, 26 million with 21 million guaranteed. Uh, another multiple million guaranteed contract. This will give Ngakwe the chance to be the featured rusher in Vegas, but truthfully, the Raiders needed defensive back help very badly, so hopefully they will get a big-name guy in the up-and-coming days. Uh, Corey Lindsley heads to the Chargers with former teammate Brian Balaga and is now the highest average paid center in the history of the league. Five years, $62.5 million, $26 million guaranteed. 
over the next two seasons. The message is very clear. Protect Justin Herbert. Good signing for the Chargers. Uh, Jason Verrett remains in San Francisco on a one-year deal. Big win for San Francisco to lock him up for another season. He's your best cornerback. San Francisco had a lot of defensive backs enter free agency this season. Great for San Fran that they could lock him up and keep him there on a one-year deal, probably with the idea of extending him next season. Uh, Shaq Barrett returned to Tampa Bay, four years, $68 million extension. Levante David staying as well on a two-year deal. So again, the nucleus of the Buccaneers defense is re-signed and staying. Rob Gronkowski re-signed, Tom Brady re-signed. It looks like Tampa Bay is just re-upping and reloading for another run next year. Uh, and then finally... Uh, finally, out of the out of the big signings, Aaron Jones re-signs with the Packers, four years, forty-eight million dollars. Look, I'm not the highest guy on Aaron Jones, but if there is one thing that we've learned about the Packers over time, is not only that they need a good defense and be able to succeed, but they also need something of a running game. It can't just be the Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams show. So, at the very least, in the system that he's in, even though I don't know if Aaron Jones is necessarily the best running back in the league. And, and deserves, you know, to be paid that much money, uh, $12 million a year, essentially. He, at, what, at, at the very least, you're going to get some similar product to what you already have in the system that you already have, and it's been very difficult for Green Bay to find consistent running backs. Uh, Eddie Lacy was up and down when he was with the Packers, so you're going to keep him there, you're going to keep the status quo, Aaron Rodgers needs something of a running game to kind of take the weight off of his shoulders. So in that aspect, it's a good signing, even though I'm not as high on Aaron Jones. And uh, you're going to notice that in that entire laundry list of players that I listed in terms of a free agency recap of day one, you're going, you probably notice, well, where are all those New England Patriots signings? And that's because I was saving it for its own separate segment because the Patriots, let's just say Bill Belichick got pretty much every single bit of his stimulus check in the mail and he's cashing out. The Patriots are going on an absolute spending spree, something that Bill Belichick hasn't done in at least 10 years as a front office man for the New England Patriots. The New England Patriots have spent more money this offseason alone than they've spent in the last 10 years. Now, that's just a mind-blowing stat to think about. Bill Belichick, his niche and his speciality was always being able to turn other teams' trash into the Patriots' treasure. It was the small pickups here or there that the Patriots had to fill gaps that Bill Belichick and his genius as a football coach was able to coach that player into becoming what exactly what they needed. That was Bill Belichick's game for the past 10 years. And then Tom Brady leaves and he goes goes and wins the Super Bowl in Tampa Bay. And Bill's just like, well, crap. <laughs> I guess I need to start spending some money and spend some money that they did. Uh, as of today, the recording of this video, March 16th, the Patriots have already signed. And I have a gigantic list here, so stay with me. Matthew, uh, Matt Judon, four years, $56 million. Devon Godshaw, two years, $16 million. Re-signed Deatrick Wise Jr., four years, $22 million. Signed Johnu Smith, four years, $50 million. Hunter Henry, three years, $37.5 million. And with those last two signings, the Patriots have two of the top five highest-paid tight ends in the league. 
Nelson Aguilar, two years, $22 million. Jalen Mills, coming over from the Eagles, safety, four years, $24 million. Kendrick Bourne, wide receiver, three years, $15 million. Resigned Cam Newton, which we knew. Traded for Trent Brown from Las Vegas. Traded for Marcus Cannon from Houston. And that's just day one. That's just day one in addition to the 48 hours leading up to that. And Bill probably isn't done. The Patriots have some cap space to work with. They have the ability to go after more players if they want to. And I have a couple of takeaways here. This, uh, some people are saying this has nothing to do with Brady. This is just Bill realizing that he's deep in the hole and the team woefully underperformed last season. And I can't see how this doesn't have something to do with Tom Brady. I mean, you lose your greatest of all time quarterback. You're stubborn. You're saying, well, we'll be fine without him. We have the pieces that we need. Or, or, or even if you don't have the pieces you need, Tom or Bill Belichick, or at least the rumors were that Bill Belichick wanted to move on from Tom Brady for years and years and years. And while that point and that rumor will be debated forever, uh, Bill Belichick and Tom Brady obviously were not together this year. And it was very clear who came out on the losing side of that. It was very clear that Belichick was losing party in this divorce. And Bill is big mad. Bill... <laughs> It's absolutely the glow up of the 2021 NFL football season. You get dumped by your ex and you say, I'm going to go work out at the gym. I am going to eat healthy. I am going to buy all these nice clothes and I'm going to go get somebody new. And I don't need you kind of stuff. Bill Belichick got his stimulus check and he's using that on doing a glow up for the New England Patriots. And uh, at this point in time, based on the moves that he's made already, it looks like he is more or less sold on Cam Newton being the starting quarterback for at least a couple of seasons. Looks like Bill is acknowledging, hey, look, Cam, I'm sorry I didn't give you the weapons that you needed last season. I'm going to do my best to give you the weapons that you can use this season, and then we'll go from there. It's going to be interesting to see whether or not the Patriots try and take a quarterback in either the first round or the first couple of rounds. I think it would be a mistake to get a quarterback in the first round. Um, I did a front office frenzy segment on the Patriots, and I think it would be very smart to get a wide receiver. Because, sure, I mean, signing Nelson Aguilar helps. Nelson Aguilar is a criminally underrated wide receiver, but he's more of a number two guy. The Patriots still don't have that number one wide receiver. Nikhil Harry is a bust. Jacoby Myers is a great piece, but he hasn't developed quite that much yet into being that number one spot or being in that number one slot. So the Patriots still need a number one wide receiver. I would like to see somebody like Jalen Waddle go to the Patriots. I've thrown that name out for a couple of teams, but I think Waddle in a New England jersey could be very scary. A true number one wide receiver, potentially better than Devonta Smith, depending on what grading scale you listen to and which mock draft you like reading. Um, so Cam Newton is going to have wide receivers, especially if you draft a wide receiver in the draft with your first round pick. And another thing is that you can't or you can't rather teach an old dog new tricks. Uh, the signing of John New Smith. Johnny Smith, I thought by itself, was a great signing for New England. Uh, I knew Bill loved his tight ends, but the, the signing of Hunter Henry surprised me. I didn't think that they were going to sign two tight ends like that at that price point. And really, it's it's vindicative, and it's it, it points to the fact that you can't teach Bill new tricks most of the time. <laughs> he is very, very sold on the idea of having a lot of the offense come through two tight ends. 
And essentially, Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry are the 2021 versions of Gronkowski and Hernandez. Belichick has always favored the two tight end system, and this is the most recent and updated version of it. Are they going to be as good as Gronk and Hernandez? Probably not, but even before Gronk and Hernandez, Bill liked the two tight end approach and it fit his offense. And look, it, it, it's got to be said, if Cam Newton can reproduce what he had with Greg Olson back in Carolina, this could be a pretty beneficial relationship. Now, I don't think Cam Newton is anywhere near the type of player that he was in Carolina. I think Cam Newton has confidence issues. It's a weird combination between having way too much swagger and no confidence at all in your passing ability and your ability to lead a football team. Cam Newton, for me, is a, is a weird combination of of the mental aspect of football right now. I, I feel like he's not confident. I feel like he didn't have the confidence to be able to lead the football team last season, but he kept his Cam Newton swagger and his attitude. Um, weird, weird position and kind of a little bit of a side tangent there, but hey, if you can pair the best tight end or what many consider to be the best tight end or one of the top three tight ends in the league in Jonu Smith with Cam Newton and he could produce in addition to having Hunter Henry who had his best season with Justin Herbert in Los Angeles last season you are giving Cam Newton pretty much everything that he needs to succeed if anything the offensive moves not only adding Aguilar but adding um what was his name adding Kendrick Bourne so you're adding Smith you're adding Henry you're adding Aguilar you're adding Bourne and you are more than likely if I am Bill Belichick you're adding more offensive pieces in the draft all the pressure is on Cam Newton right now to be able to perform like Cam Newton was supposed to perform and is expected of him to perform uh any, if he's even remotely close to MVP caliber Cam Newton, the Patriots are going to be a scary, scary team to play against next season, and the Buffalo Bills' reign uh, top of the AFC East could be very much short-lived. Uh, but apart from that, uh, Matthew Judon is an okay signing. I think really he is, or Bill Belichick here is acknowledging that Dante Hightower is getting a little bit older. He's going to need some help in the linebacking core. Uh, Devon Gottschalk played for the Dolphins. He is a, I don't necessarily want to say a depth player, but he um, has some inconsistent play at times. He can be good, He but he's more likely than not a rotational piece in that defensive line, especially with uh, Belichick re-signing Deatrick Wise Jr., who was probably one of the more prominent pass rushers in New England last season. So, you know, the Patriots and their spending spree, they've done a lot of good work here. And they're going to be a team to be reckoned with if Cam performs anything like he did in his better days in Carolina. The pressure with this is on Cam Newton now. Bill is getting his defense back. He went on the spending spree and he said, I've got you. Let me buy you all this stuff. Let's trick this thing out and see what we can do with it. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see whether or not these signings by the Patriots end up playing out. And who knows? Again, this is day one, and that's the mind-blowing thing, is that the Patriots have spent a full off-season's worth of free agency money in one day, and Bill might not be finished. That's a scary thought to think about. The Patriots are reloading. They're going from, like, a double-barrel shotgun to, like, a fully automatic 12-gauge. They are reloading, and they're re-upping, and they could be a scary, scary team. Um, to deal with this next season, keep in mind for whoever is the next quarterback to play for Bill Belichick, don't run off with another team and win a Super Bowl because he is going to wreak havoc on the entire league. And uh, that's the show today, ladies and gentlemen. I felt uh, I felt 
uh, a tremendous amount of, of talking was done today, normally more than I would like to do. But, I mean, the massive amount of NFL news coming out uh, over the past 24 hours was just too much to be ignored. Thank you so much for listening today. We'll be back either tomorrow or Thursday with another show. Uh, highlights will be posted on YouTube as always. So on behalf of me, Nick Ryan, you are listening to the Hard-Headed Sports Podcast. Stay hard-headed, but have a nice day.